A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. To forget would be not only dangerous, but offensive. To forget the dead would be akin to killing them a second time. For your benefit, learn from our tragedy. It is not a written law that the next victims must be Jews. Eli Weissel wrote these words in his 1960 memoir, Night, 15 years after the liberation of Auschwitz-Birkenau, the death camp where he had been detained. His words remind us that memory is a powerful form of resistance against authoritarianism, against dehumanization, against persecution of marginalized groups. The interview you're about to hear with Holocaust survivor Yuri Winterstein is published on Holocaust Memorial Day. It marks 78 years since Auschwitz-Birkenau was liberated by the Soviets and remembers the millions of people, including 6 million Jews, who were murdered in the Holocaust and in the genocides that followed. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one! It's the politics show. Cast. I'm Uri Winterstein. I'm a... Survivor of uh, the genocide commonly referred to as a Holocaust. You were born in 1943 in what's now Slovakia. Can you tell us about the situation there when you were born? Well, uh, Czechoslovakia, by the time I was born, had been split by the Germans effectively into two countries, which were known uh, generally as the uh, protectorates of uh, Bohemia Moravia and the protectorate of Slovakia. And I was born in Bratislava, the capital of Slovakia. Uh, now, Slovakia was actually an ally of the Germans. So contrary to some of the countries in Europe, it wasn't conquered. Uh, it was ruled by a party with a very similar vision, uh, including very much the anti-Semitism of the, the Nazi party. And uh, so we found ourselves... Uh, in in uh, this terrible situation from even before the war began because uh, the, the the split happened in march uh, 1939 and the first of the anti-jewish legislation in slovakia started to be passed in april 1939 so it actually predates the war yeah that must have been terrifying as a jewish family and for your parents 
And I was wondering if they ever talked to you about the events that preceded and made the Holocaust possible. Like, were they aware of rising anti-Semitism and dehumanization? Right. Uh, first of all, my parents, uh, very much like many survivors, hardly spoke about uh, that time. So uh, I sometimes thought maybe it was protecting me because I, uh, although I was born during the war uh, and, and in effect, uh, my life was in danger, I never knew that time. I never had the terror that, like my sister, who was six years older, would have experienced. And But my parents were very aware of the anti-Semitism. There was, unfortunately, a lot of anti-Semitism going back decades even. My father... Uh, although uh, professionally he was a lawyer and had a very successful practice, his real passion was the welfare of the Jewish community. He was heavily involved in Jewish organizations from his youth onwards. And so he, he was very aware of that. In the, in the mid-1930s, he campaigned in the national elections. Uh, he, wasn't, he didn't consider himself a political man, but the Slovak People's Party, which is... Uh, the party that echoed very much the Nazi lines, uh, their anti-Semitism was so blatant that my father got involved in trying to to push back against them, let's say. So, uh, yes, they, they very, were very aware of, of the dangers. And uh, they never spoke to me, but as an adult, I can imagine that their thoughts heavily particularly once the war started, we're just simply on survival. You mentioned um, your dad's activism there, and I was wondering if you could speak a bit more about the working group that he was part of during the war. Well, the working group was an informal uh, group, no one formally structured or had a leadership or whatever, of nine Jews, but it was effectively led by two of them, a rabbi, Dov Weismandel, and a woman, Gizzy Fleischman, who uh, for me is one of the unsung heroines of the war. Uh, she very sadly was picked up by the Gestapo in 1944 and sent to Auschwitz with specific orders uh, to be killed. But uh, the work I believe that the working group did saved uh, many lives. Uh, I think the, the chief uh, accomplishment, there, there, there were a number of things that they managed to do, but the biggest of all for me was stopping the deportation of the Slovak Jews for almost two years uh, from uh, October 1942 to late September 1944. And uh, that was accomplished by bribing the key German and Slovak officials involved, and particularly SS officer Dieter Wisliceni, who was nominally uh, an advisor to the Slavic government on Jewish matters, but actually the man, of course, calling the shots. It's incredible bravery, and it must have placed your father in some danger. Um, and your parents found themselves in 1943 with you as, as a baby. And I was wondering if you could tell us about the actions they took to keep you safe. Uh, yes, they, they realized, I mean, they because they were aware of this danger, they, they knew that if the danger became very imminent, they would have to go into hiding. So they always had a plan in their back pockets to go into hiding. 
However, they realized that it would be impossible or very difficult, let's say, to hide with a baby. Uh, certainly in researches, I found a couple of instances where people were hiding with very small infants, where they accidentally actually uh, suffocated them because they were trying to keep them quiet when a German army search was near, going on near. My mother explained to me that it was difficult to explain to my sister that she would have to be quiet when, when they were in hiding and the search was underway near the, where they were. But absolutely impossible with a baby. So their plan, uh, which they obviously conceived before I was even born, was to give me to a non-Jewish, uh, I didn't know at the time who, who they gave me to, but it turns out to be a family. Uh, a non-Jewish family. So when I was a month old, uh, they they gave me into the care of this family. Could you tell us a bit about what happened then? When I was with this other family, well, of course, all I can tell you is what I was told because I have no memories myself. But my sister told me uh, fairly recently, she remembered going with my parents to visit me once and that uh, they found me being well taken care of, that this family was clearly very uh, uh, good to me, uh, which was not always the case, I know, um, but that they expressed uh, concern because they lived in a building in which uh, effectively the family had two flats, uh, but the third was taken by a German officer. And they were afraid that this officer might tweak to the fact that I was a Jewish child being hidden. And of course, uh, if discovered, I probably would have been killed pretty quickly, but they would have been in serious trouble. Hiding uh, Jews was a very serious crime. So I, I cannot tell you how full of admiration Sorry, I am for the for what they did, which was very, very brave. Sorry. It's incredibly brave. It was incredible. And when I learned, I, I only the only thing I knew about them when, when I was growing up is my mother told me when I was somewhere around eight, nine years old, that they my father knew a Sudeten German woman who was a journalist. Um, and they gave me for safekeeping to this woman. That's all I really knew. I then surmised there was a family, etc. but I, I really didn't know anything. And I never had a way of finding out who these people were when I was an adult. Uh, first of all, I wasn't even living there and, and so on. And miraculously, thanks to the internet, they, they found me in 2019. The son of the family I was with, who was virtually exactly my age and I, I my first playmate effectively because I was with him uh, he, he uh, found me and uh, I thought not only how brave they were but here they were they ha actually they had a son I say to myself maybe if I was a single person would I be brave enough to hide someone you know you, you never know the answer till you're in a situation I'd like to think so but who knows but to have a family, to have a, your own child and take that risk. Uh, and they not only saved me, they, they saved another boy and they saved three adult men as well. So uh, 
they were incredible. Yeah. The actions of them and of your parents kept you safe. And I was wondering if you could speak a bit about what was happening to your parents during the time that you were in their care. Yes, my my parents, um, on the whole, were managing day to day. Uh, There was a period where, um, actually, that probably took place before I was born, where my father had to go into hiding because it was a uh, an order out for his arrest, but uh, after my, if I look at after my birth, in the uh, in 1944, uh, there was a popular uprising in Slovakia in August, and it took the German army to quell that rebellion, and the Germans now took direct control of the government at that stage, and the uh, Adolf Eichmann had sent a new man then. At that point, to take replace uh, Dieter Wisliceni, uh, SS officer Alois Brumer, who was a true diehard anti-Semite, and uh, announced on his arrival in September '44 that his priority was getting rid of all the Jews uh, that remained in Slovakia, and he ordered the Jews in Bratislava to be housed in selected apartment buildings. Uh, to make it easy to uh, not only control them, but more importantly, I think, to take them to a train station when a train arrived for deportation. By by then, the war was going very badly, and I don't think they would have known when a train was coming. It would have to be quick. So my parents and my sister were moved into a room in one of these buildings, and my parents discussed that evening that they should put their plan to go into hiding the next day but, you know, luck plays a big role in life. And as luck would have it, in the middle of the night, a train arrived for deportation. And at dawn, the building was surrounded by German soldiers who came into all the rooms, ordering everybody out to be taken to the train station. And my mother uh, pleaded with the soldier who came into the room where they were to leave my sister behind. My sister was seven years old. And uh, my parents thought she had a better chance of survival being left than going with them into a camp. And to my great surprise, when I heard this, the soldier didn't just say, shut up and get on with it. He said, well, I have to ask my superior officer. And this officer actually showed some humanity because he not only acceded to my mother's request, he actually went further. He said, who will take care of the girl? So he said, we'll leave the mother as well. So on that occasion, my father was taken, but my mother and sister were, were allowed to stay. One of the soldiers turned around as they were leaving and said, we will catch you later. But my parents and sister are all convinced that that act of humanity saved my sister's life, that she would not have survived had she been taken at that point in time to a camp that extra time. And on that day, my mother and sister then uh, were on a tram going to the hiding place. And they were traveling with a friend of my father's, Dr. Ernst Abeles, who was also on the working group. And my mother said she got nervous about a German soldier she thought was staring at them. So she said, let's just get off at the next stop to get rid of him. And, uh, 
When they got off, however, he followed, and now he demanded to see their identification papers. And while Abolus was fumbling in his pockets to find his papers, my mother grabbed my sister's hand and said, run, and they ran as quickly as they could. And my sister told me once I was talking at school here that uh, she was afraid the soldier was going to shoot. He had a rifle. So she looked, and she said he was just looking bemused. And he obviously thought it was a family because he turned around to Abelis and said, you better go join your, your wife and daughter. Although he also added those words, we'll catch you later. Uh, nevertheless, another act of humanity. So on that day, my mother and sister had two very close calls, but were able to go into hiding in a bunker uh, with Abelis and, and a number of other uh, Jews were hiding there. Uh, so how lucky do you get? But their luck eventually ran out because uh, a young woman in hiding with them wrote a letter to her boyfriend, which was intercepted by the Gestapo. And they now knew where the hiding place was. And uh, this time there was no escape. So my mother and sister ended up being uh, deported uh, then as well. <laughs> Sorry. And they, uh, they actually met up with my father in a uh, labor camp, a slave labor camp in, in Slovakia called Seret. But they were almost immediately then sent, all three of them, to uh, Theresienstadt, which was a concentration camp in what's now the Czech Republic, near the border of Poland, uh, with train transport to uh, Poland, etc. So it was a conduit to Auschwitz and to other camps from there. Um, so I don't know how much you want me to say of the, what I know of their time in the camp, but the, they were then uh, in a camp until the end of the war. And uh, when I knew all of this as a boy, I counted myself very, very lucky because uh, although many people of my family had died in the, in the Holocaust, uh, my immediate family had, had survived and I wasn't an orphan. Uh, I was aware that I was lucky. How did it come to be that you were reunited with your family after they had been in Theresienstadt? Well, my, my family, as I say, weren't, weren't the camp wasn't liberated until the very end of the war. And even then, I understand people weren't allowed to leave camps because uh, the authorities were afraid they might spread uh, diseases. They were all very weak. There were diseases in these camps, and they could spread them. So I have no idea how long it took before my parents were able to come to Bratislava. But uh, my uh, aunt, uh, my, my father's youngest brother's wife, knew where I was hidden at the time. I was no longer with this original family. I was now with a Slovak peasant woman. But she knew where I was, so she's the one who collected me and uh, kept me until my parents and sister were able to return to Bratislava, and I was reunited with them. Now, I was 19 months old at the end of the war, so I, I have no memory of not being with my family. My earliest memory, childhood memories, 
are happy memories with loving parents and sister and, you know, a, a normal kind of life. And I didn't know any of this baggage that I now am aware of at that time. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Not another one? It's the Politics Show podcast. The day you've given many talks in schools around Britain, and I was wondering, what is it you want the children to know when you give these talks? The most important thing that I try to say to the children, in fact, I say to them, I'm not actually here to talk about the past. I want to talk to you about the future, the future of your generation. But talking about the past is a way of trying to alert them to the dangers of uh, society, as I ex- explain to them, if they allow prejudices to harden into hatred and extreme ideologies to flourish, then we end up with situations like, like ours. Uh, so that is a message I want to give them, the need for tolerance in society, the fact that the common humanity we share is so much bigger than any of these divisions that people see. But prejudice has a way of enlarging these divisions, making them seem huge. The only division that I really see are ideological ones. People who spread ideologies of hatred and divide people and set one group of people against another, they're the danger. Uh, And that's what I'm trying to alert the children to. And also to the fact that it's a, a process Uh, Something like a genocide does not happen from one day to the next. It needs a process which starts with language to separate the target group from the rest of society to dehumanize them in the eyes of the rest of the society. So it becomes easier to do the things that then are done uh, to them. So that's really the key message I want to give the kids. And when you look at the world today, do you think that we as a society have learned about the, have learned the dangers of anti-Semitism? No, until a very few years ago, I thought, and I know my sister thought, many other people thought, that we were making progress. Uh, very, very slow. It was painfully slow, but there was, it seemed, progress. And then suddenly... Uh, and it seems to started in 2016 with the Brexit vote in this country, which seemed to give permission to those that 
have the extreme ideologies and hate, to feel that they could come out and start to to speak in ways that before that they they weren't able to or didn't feel they had permission to do. And the hate started to spread again. And I felt we're, we're, we're sliding backwards. Now, I like to hang on to something I heard uh, President Obama uh, say a um, couple of years ago or so, uh, ex-president, of course, but because he was interviewed about the fact that Donald Trump, then the president, was tearing up virtually anything that Obama had touched. And the interviewer was asking him basically how he felt about that. And Obama said, you know, that is how progress happens in the world throughout history. The progressive forces make some progress. Then the conservative forces fight back and there's a reaction. But then eventually you start again and you start actually from a bit higher level. So I would like to hope that's the case, even though what I'm watching is a world that seems to be slipping steadily worse and worse situation. Uh, in many, many countries, unfortunately, we, we see the forces of uh, ultra-nationalism, uh, of hate talk, uh, division of people uh, in so many parts of the world. It's, it's very frightening and makes it very important to continue to, to talk to the kids. But I have to say, one of the things that have made the talks for me a pleasure because originally I really didn't want to do the talks. Uh, I felt it was a duty, but I didn't want to do the talks. I was afraid of it. But the kids have been so fantastic and so positive and they're the future. So I have hope. You mentioned um, some of the people that were brave and saved your life and your family's life. And I was wondering, what do you make of the treatment of refugees today and some of the discourse that we hear from people in power towards them? Right. Well, there, there's a very big, important division between the people in power and the general uh, public. The people in power are pursuing a very anti-foreigners, anti-immigrants, anti-asylum seekers agenda, ex an extreme agenda and often use language which I find extremely disturbing because it reminds me of the kind of language that was used in the 1930s about Jews even. Um, because they're talked about as if they're criminals, they're, they're, they're bad people, etc. They're just normal people, many of them running for their lives, others for a better life. And what's wrong with that? This country was made by many uh, immigrants coming over the uh, centuries who are some some fleeing for their lives and some for a better life you know neither of those is to be condemned uh, but when it comes to the general public what's interesting is uh, I'm aware from uh, uh, one of the charities working with asylum seekers for example they said this was at the time Suella Braverman was the home secretary they said every time she opened her mouth, about the asylum seekers and immigrants, they got lots more money, which showed how the general public, there was a quite a lot of people who actually don't feel the way the government do. Uh, and and uh, 
uh, it's it's a very sad situation. Um, but I, I'm buoyed by the fact that there are a lot of good people in, in this country. Uh, you don't hear about them so much because they're the government is who we hear about mostly. But they're they're there, and, and they they cheer my heart. Yuri Winterstein, thank you so much for talking to us today. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.